I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding and applying the wisdom of the Bible in your own context. In this season, The Problem of Good and Evil, we're digging into the topic of good and evil, finding new and maybe unexpected ways to think about it and respond to it. Let's get started. In the episodes of season two, The Problem of Good and Evil, we discuss some heavy topics and instances of evil that can be disturbing, especially for those who've experienced related trauma. We advise caution among listeners. If you find that you need help or support as a result of listening to this podcast, please consult the resources listed in the show notes. Welcome back to episode three. Today's topic is why good and evil aren't exactly opposites. Um, to start off, I think we should play a game. All right, a game let's do that it. I may fail miserably at, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest it anyway. Um, where we just go back and forth, saying what uh, what movies come to mind that like demonstrate this good and evil being pitted against each other. Okay. Um, and then we can... I feel like we could name thousands of movies. Okay. Well, do you want to go first? <laughs> uh, I mean, the obvious one from my generation, uh, Star Wars. Star Wars, okay. One, one, two, and three, which I think you guys called seven through 12. I don't know what your numbering <laughs> system is. <laughs> Those were the best ones, though. They were. If we're being honest. Yeah. Um, okay, so for me, probably, probably Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, have not seen it, so but, I'll wait, trust you. For real? Yeah, no, haven't seen it. Have we not talked about this before? You haven't seen it? I haven't read the books. Oh, I know man. that there's a lord and there's a ring and there's some <laughs> hobbits in there somewhere, and that's it. And Gollum. Wow. That's it. Okay. But well. I picked that all up through pop culture references. So. Okay. Well, see, you've demonstrated a lot of knowledge about Lord of the Rings, so I just assumed that you'd watched it. But, yeah. Okay. No. Or um, read it. See, I'm I am that person. A lot of people are going to judge me. I am that person that has only watched the movies and never read the books. Oh wow. So, yeah. I can't believe you just said that out loud. I know. Hey, you know, um, I'm I'm a I'm a bold, authentic person. I can I can take it, right? So, okay, you got another one? Is it your turn? Uh, I think it's your turn again. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least uh, the ones I've seen, are are all forces of good against forces of evil. That's true. That's true. Okay. Um just pulling pulling the uh the examples from my childhood. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia. That's a big one. Yeah, I, I, Ice Queen. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Ice Queen in Aslan. Yeah. Um, I would also put, not knowing what I'm actually saying, but Harry Potter. Is that true? Mm, yes, for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, and then the first one, it seemed like that. You have the one that can't be named, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. That was really Wait, effective because I don't remember his name. Now, <laughs> what so. is his name? Uh, Voldemort. Voldemort. Shh. Our uh, <laughs> producer, Kate, over here is uh, mouthing it, so I'll give him credit for that. Um, okay, you, your turn. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, hang on. Let me think. Just forces of good against the forces, forces of evil. Of, honestly, there's a lot, and I'm not thinking of any. Um, I pulled the two. Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to pass it off to you for another one. This is where you have to insert in the audio, two hours later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I predicted I may not be good at it, so... I mean, I think you can think of, like, Godzilla, Transformers, G.I. Joe, like, just a lot of, like, uh, young... Oh, wait, um, would we consider Wolverine to fit into that? I, I, I don't know, but yes. I haven't seen it. It's so. kind of like a, I guess most superhero movies yes. would make sense because they're like extra human. X-Men. Yeah. 
Oh, that's what I was meaning. Okay, yeah. well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> James Bond films, right? Yeah. Batman. Okay. So these the, are the, yeah. the big ones where it's just, there's some just evil person. You're not quite sure why they're evil, right? You just Well, now, because of the new movie universe we live in, you just assume there's some backstory that is going to come out in some later movie, mm. right? But prior to that, Superman, right? You're like, what? what is wrong with these people? Why do they want bad things to happen? Mm-hmm. Other than they just say, I want bad things to happen, and then maniacally laugh. You know, you don't really know what's going on there in the background. So um, Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness, right? Mm. Demons Against Angels and the yeah. spiritual realm above them. Although he's probably doing something different there, but it's still a, a, a epic battle of good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we going to talk about that more? Because I, I know that we'd mentioned, like, how does the, like, what is... Satan, how does a demonic world work? I think yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about Satan yeah. this episode, right? We should talk right? about Satan this okay. episode. The okay. Satan. We should call the him Sa- the Satan, The though. Satan, okay. Um, because we're not actually referring to an individual. We're referring to a bunch of different people and mm. things, so. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for humoring me. <laughs> um, I think this kind of sets us up just to talk about what, like, obviously, our concept of good and evil, we think about good and evil, and we think about it being like a versus, you know, like this versus this. Um, And they are both like inherently either good or evil. But as we've talked about so far, even from the previous two episodes, that it's way more gray than that. Um, So as we discussed in the last episode, people often make sense of evil by comparing it and contrasting it to good. So what are some common ways that our imaginations teach us to think about the relationship between good and evil? Maybe those imaginations are informed by some of these movies that we mentioned. Right. Um, oh, but what certainly. does that look like? Yeah. Um, and evil, we would uh, the formation would be a lot of horror and like thriller movies as well, where you have these people who are motivated, but you're not quite sure why. Um, but yeah, I think the kind of light switch... Uh, which we've alluded to before, like something is either good or it's evil and twixt and twain, it can't be anything in between. Um, you can think of a continuum, like good on one side, evil on the other side, which isn't exactly wrong. I mean, I think there's something like a continuum going on in the biblical author's mind. Um, but the question still becomes like, well, what pushes something over from this side to the, you know, to the other side of the continuum? What's the, the animating factors in the continuum? Um, there's the context that this, the the same person can be good or evil, kind of like the moral choice theory of good or evil. I'm just, you know, I'm just a, an, an autonomous human being who's presented with like 20 different choices a day, probably more than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just here to make the right choices. And we'll talk about in later episodes why that won't get us where we need to go. That's, that, that won't be good enough to explain why we need to uh, do well in this world. Um and then you have this, what I would call the Zoroastrian view, This uh, that there's basically, there's good people in the world, there's bad people. It's kind of like in the military, how you just, you know, like in a combat zone, you're like, bad guys over there, you know, good guys over here. Our job is to kill uh, as many of them as possible, right? Um, and so, but there's a spiritual version of that, that there are gods that are good and bad, and they're going uh, at one another. And this is particularly characterized in the Zoroastrian view and some of what we call uh, Gnosticism. So, should I talk about the Zoroastrian view? Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a funny. It's a funny name. It's Persian, like modern day Iran, is where this uh, view developed. But it's very influential, um, and essentially the 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 spiritual realm is divided up this way. And so, 
uh, between forces of good and forces of bad, and it's just a massive battle, and it's unclear who's going to win, right? And so as humans, as a Zoroastrian, a practicing Zoroastrian, um, you join the battle by bringing good into the world, and that kind of adds into the good that's going to overcome the evil. So in some ways, we can say it's not not a terribly bad, you know, if you're just to pick an ethical view of the world, like, oh, okay, well, we want good things to happen in the world. But again, as we've set up to this point, good has to be discerned properly uh, and, and, and evil has to be discerned properly. So you could be a good practicing Zoroastrian and the whole time actually from the biblical author's view be contributing bad stuff to the world mm. or distorting the world in some way. Um, and I, I think also the the later view that kind of mimics some elements of Zoroastrian, which we do run into after the New Testament, but early on in Christianity is Gnosticism, which is spelled with a G, like Gnus or Gnostics. <laughs> um, but Gnosticism is this view that... Um, you know, there's good versus bad. The body is bad. It's like spiritual freedom. Literally, the goal is to get your spirit free of your body and free of the material world. And you do this through secret knowledge. And so it kind of divides up the world as good and bad. So material stuff, coffee cups, you, me, we're all bad. Um, but our, the goal is to get our soul, by believing these right, true things, we get our soul into the heavens. Uh, right. And so some Christians go like, wait, I think that's what they taught at my church. And you're mm. like, um, <laughs> well, no, because the goal is to be resurrected in body, right? And, and across scriptures and according to Jesus and Paul, right? The goal is to be resurrected in body and enter the new heavens and new earth. Like the earth is not the problem. It, it will be renewed. It will be reoriented. Um, but the Zoroastrian view and this Gnostic view, which I'm not sure how directly they're related to one another. Gnosticism is much later. Um but they both have this very strong, what we call dualism. There's good versus evil, and they cannot, it's, it's either or. It's the light switch view um, of good and evil. And, and again, you're making assessments. Once something is assessed good or evil, then you're done with it. You just have to treat it in a particular way, hmm. which is extremely dangerous uh, way. The irredeemable kind of evil that we talked about. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, if, if you think about the reason why that's so dangerous, um, as, as just a mentality to bring into the world of discernment, uh, you know, because I used to, with my classes, say like, okay, what's an example of evil? Hitler. Okay, well, was Hitler himself evil or was he basically a good dude who just made some bad decisions in life, right? And you'll get somebody who'll say, no, Hitler himself is just an evil being. Like the things he did were, were evil and everything about him is evil. So you're like, okay, well, what do you do with somebody like that, right? If he's got like some sticky substance inside of him called evil, and that's just all there is. And um, what are our options here? Well, we can al allow Hitler to persist, or you have to destroy him. And, th and so then you, and some people will just go, yeah, you like he's, he's evil. We have to destroy him, right? Um, but then you're basically making line calls about there are just a certain group of people on the face of the earth that just are evil. They're irredeemably evil, and we have to destroy them. And I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds a lot like what Hitler taught, right? There's just a certain group of people who, are, are deleterious to the survival of the, the white race, the Aryan race, and the only option we have, we can't redeem them, they just must be destroyed. Homosexuals, the simple-minded, the Jews, the Slavs, right? You just have to destroy them. So it's not like, you know, we're talking about how the biblical authors think, and some people might think this is like a really heady conversation, but it's not like this is detached from how uh, the worst atrocities on the, on the face of the earth. Mm. Hmm. Wow. So you talked about um, 
I'm like probably not pronounce this right. Zoroastrianism. Yeah. Okay. Um, where do we get some of the ideas about the relationship between good and evil? I'm sure that that's one way. Are there other places that kind of feed into our current views? Well, I think a lot of those movies we named. I mean, okay. you know, in some ways you think about teaching, um, teaching children. So, so like, look, when your kids are seven years old and they're like, is, is Hitler good or bad? Or, you know, is, you know, this, you, you can't say like, well, it's really nuanced and like, <laughs> like, let's, let's have this conversation from episode one onward, you know, like at some point you just need to say like, Hey, if you're in trouble somewhere, a police officer is probably going to be a good person to run to, right? If a bad person is trying to do something to you that they shouldn't do, right? So you do have to, as you're, and, and we do this in, in college, like you start freshman level classes, we just kind of divide up the topics a little bit, create big, you know, and then as you get further on in that topic, you realize all those divisions are artificial and, and it's more complicated than that. So in some sense, it makes sense to kind of maintain in certain aspects of our world, a very clear good, bad, this, that, whatever distinction, but it, it can't be the that can't be where you land, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about uh, if our media, let's, so let's just imagine a world in which, like North Korean movies, uh, I mean they're kind of infamous for the fact that they do divide up the world as good and evil. America is evil. Uh, North Korea is good, and that's all there is to it. And anything North Korean is great, and anything American is evil. And that's the totality of filmmaking in North Korea that last I checked, right? Um, If the totality of American uh, media were the same, TV shows, movies, if it was all just good versus evil, they're bad. You know, cowboys and Indians movies used to be like this, essentially. Indians were all flat characters, no character development. All the white main leads um, were like these well, you know, these jaded guys that had these histories. Again, that has ethical implications for how you treat people. Um, so in some ways, I see it as kind of a good turn that American media in the 1990s forward really started developing much more complicated storylines uh, about classically evil people, the antiheroes. You couldn't call like one person completely evil or the other person completely good. Like there was a bit of a, like a dynamic, larger dynamic range of their characteristics. Yeah, and, and they lots of movies and television shows were written so that you kind of liked the person who was clearly evil and doing the bad stuff. So the people that on the news, we would say, what an evil person. Uh, but like interpersonally, right, this is a, a friend of mine. Uh, he loves to say like uh, when a mass murderer was killed in Brazil, he said there was one woman crying over his grave. And the reporter asked her, you know, why are you here, this evil person who killed all of these people? And she just said, he's my son. Right. Uh, so there's a sense in which our mothers know us like this. Our mothers know us as a more complicated character. Um, and we should also point out there are people with like certain mental health issues that really do drive them in one direction of behavior. Uh, it's not totally responsible, but it, it tips the scale on them. So, uh, but I would never want to assess those people as purely evil. Like, oh, they just need to be destroyed. And now, and because look, we just find a system where we can identify these people, maybe through an algorithm or something. Google can find a way to identify them. And then we can just round them up and kill them, right? Um, and I think scripture is going to push us away from that towards discernment. Um, one of my favorite passages uh, in Deuteronomy 4 is um, that God gives you all of this instruction to make you a wise and discerning people, not so that you can target good versus evil. Later in Deuteronomy, it says, see, I've set before you life and good. 
uh, curses and death. And it's really, um, I'm sorry, blessing and good, curses and death. And it, but that's after a long period of like, okay, let me lay this out for you so you don't misunderstand like your parents did who are all dying out in the wilderness. Something makes some very broad, clear lines. But even as you persist through those broad, clear lines, you realize it requires uh, wise and discerning people all the way through. Mm. It reminds me a lot of what you actually talked about in our previous season, um, focusing on Hebraic thinking and basically how how to read the Bible, how to interpret what the biblical authors are trying to say. And I think it, you know, just a, a brief shout out to that previous season, if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend that. Um, but it's interesting how much that actually plays in this conversation of we need to understand how to think about scripture, how to think about what the biblical authors are trying to say in order to to discern that because it's not it's not quite as simple as just one category is good, one category is evil. It's easy enough for a child to understand, but that doesn't mean it's simple mm. or simplistic. Well put. <laughs> um, so one thing that's coming to mind is the very beginning of scripture, the place where I guess we can say evil entered the world. Um, God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree right. of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, so what's that about? Can I correct you just now? Please do. <laughs> I'm not shaming you. <laughs> do it. <laughs> but you said something that we all say, um, and it's it's not right according to the text, and it's not fully correct. You said we're evil into the world. The serpent was already like bent on uh, directing the man and woman away before whatever the man and woman chose, right? So there's already this ambiguous backstory that we'll talk about in a later episode. You know, they call it the fall of Lucifer. That's not in scripture, right? It's just, uh, it's actually, it's it's alluded to in scripture, but you don't really know where did this guy come from? Why is he so bent against Yahweh? Um, uh, but in that one, in that story, as you rightly mentioned, it's the knowledge of good and evil is the center of the story, which is, again, quite striking. Um, and so I would say we don't really know what this phrase means, knowledge of good and evil. I would also argue and people can disagree uh, with that. Lots of lots of scholars. Well, some scholars might disagree with this, but um, the story doesn't really seem to care about knowledge of good, good and evil either. I mean, they could have like spelled out for you, and this is what we mean by now. I mean, they do that in other parts of the Hebrew Bible, um, but they kind of leave it as this thing that they were really supposed to show their their allegiance to Yahweh by leaving that one thing alone. Um, in fact, I think it's John Calvin who says, as often as they didn't eat of the one tree of prohibition, they showed their love, uh, their love for their God, right? So it's kind of like an anti-sacrament, a reverse sacrament. By not doing it, you're showing your love. In the same way you could think of fidelity between a husband and wife. As often as you're not with anybody else, you're actually affirming your, your love and care for that one person. Um, so in some sense, like what exactly knowledge of good and evil is, possibly beside the point, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also tricky because the phrase only comes up one other time in the entirety of Scripture, which when that happens, we say, okay, we should probably pay attention to that. And it happens in Deuteronomy 1, uh, verse 39, where it says, you know, you are afraid that your children were going to become like prey to the Canaanites, um, but it's them that I'm going to bring into the land because they have no knowledge of good and evil. Um, and you say, well, okay, well, wait, what does it mean in that context? It seems to mean they haven't yet disobeyed God. We should put yet there because we know that that they too are going to disobey God just like their parents did, uh, but not in the same way. Um, So the phrase, if if you just look at those two phrases, the only thing I think you can make sense of is it means something like you haven't disobeyed God. Um, Knowledge of it means, yep, you have disobeyed. You have gone some other way. You've listened to somebody else's voice. Uh, Scholars 
will say all kinds of things about this passage. They'll say knowledge of good and evil means knowledge of everything, like universal knowledge. Um, that gets picked up in the Quran as well and some uh, later Jewish literature as well. That That's what's going on there. Some scholars will say it means they haven't hit puberty yet. So, And there's like compelling reasons in the Hebrew to think that it's something sexual as well. Um, but again, I think when you, uh, and they would say Deuteronomy 139, that's what it's saying there as well. Look, your children who you thought were going to be prey, they, uh, they haven't hit puberty yet, but I'm going to bring them in. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not as crazy as it might sound uh, on the outside. Uh, but I, I think if you actually look at what's so compelling about the children in Deuteronomy, it's they haven't disobeyed Yahweh, and, and the couple have knowledge of good and evil precisely when they do disobey Interesting. Yahweh. Or I should say when they listen to the voice of the serpent. Right? Okay. It's interesting because I know you mentioned before when we were talking about good that it's it's not, you know, again, we're talking about good and evil being kind of um, like adversaries against each other. Um, and if good is, if, if evil is like a distortion of good or um, like a, a, a turning of what is good to something different or to something corrupt, then it would make sense that Anytime evil enters the picture, it's because something of good has been like decayed or, or corrupted at that right. point. Yep. Which would, I guess, make sense to be disobedient, some kind of diversion from what, from like the good path that they were on. Yeah, and I, you notice I shaded the word disobedience from they listened to somebody else because disobedience just makes it sound like oh they didn't listen to Yahweh, but mm-hmm. actually the story is about them listening to the voice of the serpent um, and the man listening to the voice of the woman. So it really is about diverting their allegiance to the wrong person. Interesting. Hmm. Wow. I noticed you threw the word adversary in there. Uh, unintentionally. Very clever. Very clever. <laughs> well, okay. I'll take credit for it then. <laughs> um, kidding. So in, in Genesis 2, we read about the serpent who convinced Adam and Eve to disobey God, kind of that uh, term disobedience there again. So is the, you know, I'm speaking of adversary a little bit, is the relationship between good and evil essentially a battle between God and Satan? Again, kind of going back to the Zoroastrian, Gnostic point of view. um, What would you say about that? So if I could snap my fingers in a Thanos kind of way, (laughs) I wouldn't kill half of of the creatures in the universe. Uh, I would, one of the things I would do, I'd have to have several snaps here, but uh, (laughs) one of them would be to get people to quit using the name Satan as a, as a personal name uh, and Adam, and it would be the Satan. If you just said the Satan every time, then you'll understand everything that's going on in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, the serpent is not called Satan. He's just called the serpent, right? So I think it's a reasonable person can look at all, you know, Job, which we can look at in a second, um, the, the character in Job and other places in, clearly in the New Testament, and say, are these all the same character? Yeah, I think it's very possible this is the same character. Um, maybe not, but they don't have, there are no names. Uh, even, I, I know what somebody is thinking right now. They're like, uh-uh-uh. When Jesus <laughs> approaches the man of, uh, at, uh, um, on the east side of the lake and the name of it is escaping me right now where the pigs are, um, they say, we are legion, right? And it's like, well, yeah, but he's using a Roman military. Even there, it's a title, not a, not a personal name. So... Um, the, the the term Satan, it means adversary, right? And the, the first thing you have to understand about that term Satan is there are good godly Satans in Scripture and there are bad Satans. And good good ones are the ones who are acting on behalf of Yahweh for his purposes and the bad ones are acting against Yahweh. I mean, it really is 
actually, okay, so that that is pretty simple, mm-hmm. right? But because they are Satan does not make them bad. Um, we can also say in the New Testament uh, world or the Greco-Roman world, there are good demons and bad demons. Mm-hmm. Um, like the angel of death that God actually sends out at times. Yeah, so it's not called a Satan, a Satan, uh, but it's acting as an adversary against uh, uh, Pharaoh. So you can talk about the term and then the concept. The concept is everywhere. Anywhere where somebody's acting, when God says, I'll be an adversary to your adversaries, um, Right. This is this this term Satan is used through. So let me give a couple of examples okay. so people can have in mind exactly what we're talking about here. Um, so a good Satan, a good Satan. Uh, Numbers twenty two. Balaam is on his donkey and kicking it and uh, beating it, and the donkey's getting ready to talk. The only other place where an animal talks in all of Scripture. Um, and an angel stands there with his uh, a sword drawn in his hand. Uh, and he's called an adversary, a Satan, a Satan. Uh, again, he stood as a Satan against uh, Balaam. And there he's acting. He's, he's a messenger on behalf of Yahweh to stop Balaam from this activity that he's getting ready to participate. So that's a very standard use of Satan. Um, First Kings 11, Sol- Solomon has already uh, flown the coop. He set up altars to other gods. He set up sanctuaries of child sacrifice up on the Mount of Olives, looking down on the temple. And so uh, God comes to him through a messenger, and he says, I'm going to raise up Hadad as a Satan against you, right? So now you can hear, if you just take that word Satan and use it as it's used in the text, it, it doesn't really, doesn't have that creepy, mysterious, this one evil character. Um, same thing in Job, right? So um, I'll quote, there was a day, this is Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, or the sons of Elohim, uh, came to present themselves before Yahweh, and a Satan also came up among them, right? So these seem to be the angelic beings or the, the heavenly beings, maybe not angelic, but heavenly beings. And there's an adversary, right? So when you get to, so a lot of stuff happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot of Hellenistic Jewish literature that's produced, and there's a lot of literature that's produced about demons and, and, and uh, demonic activity amongst that Jewish literature, the New Testament doesn't appropriate much of it. The New Testament actually goes in a, in a different direction. Um, but in Matthew 4, it's uh, the adversary. So Jesus says, be gone, Satan, when he's out in the desert, uh, when he finally rejects uh, the – but he's also called Diablos, uh, the, the devil, mm-hmm. right? Belial, Beelzebub, these are all terms that might have these kind of like a personal adversary who is not on God's side. He's actually trying to create havoc, wreak havoc in some way. I also point out, though, in, the, in all the Gospels, Peter is called a Satan as well. Uh, get behind me, Satan. So now we can make sense mm. of why does Peter call him uh, Satan? He's yeah. not calling him the devil. Oh, man, how many bad sermons have we heard? <laughs> where he's like, and, and Peter temporarily was, you know, the Satan. Um no, he, he's Peter doesn't understand the, the true cost of discipleship. And so he says, you're, it's as if you're an adversary to mm. me now. You just said I was the Christ, and now you're an adversary to uh, to what I'm doing here. Which makes a lot more sense if Jesus is saying, you're standing in my way. You're standing in the way. Rather than saying, you are this evil being. Yeah, and the language <laughs> in the gospel, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's almost comedy. It's so sickening, right? He's like, but Peter pulled him, Jesus aside and rebuked him for saying that he had to suffer and die. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and spoke plainly to them, right? Um, so it's really this like, no, okay, Peter, you got something, but you did not get the whole shebang. So here we go. Uh, and But interestingly, getting something, like understanding that Jesus is the Christ, using the Christianese, which, okay, that's not 
that's not correct. But using their version of the Christianese is not enough. You don't understand what's going on. You can still be an adversary to the plan of God, even if you understand some aspects of it. Uh, and even if you're like headed down the right way, which is why James, the brother of Jesus, later says in his epistle, like even the, you know, you understand that Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God. Good. So do the demons, but at mm. least it makes them afraid, right? Hmm. Uh, so you have gotten, your, your theology is way up to the level of demonic theology, but we have to go above that, right? Mm. We have to get better. Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, that was a lot. No, that was good. That was really interesting. So are there other places in the Bible? I know that's like a very overt, like the devil, the Satan, like very clear, um, like how we think about evil. Are there maybe some more subtle ways that the Bible teaches us about the relationship between good and evil? Um, there, there are all kinds of subtle ways. And again, if you, if you could just look up um, these key terms or even the term evil in the Hebrew and just see all the instances of it, um, you, would, you would immediately begin to realize there's, okay, there's something more going on here than I'm, I was prepared for by my cultural understanding. Um, I do think the story of Jonah is a great one um, because it both has characters affirming that God is doing evil against them. They just don't know which God is doing evil against them. Um, and there you have Jonah as a Satan to God's plans. Uh, it doesn't call him that, but he's, he's functioning that way. So God calls him to Nineveh in the east in uh, Neo-Assyria. Uh, and he goes to Joppa, a port that everybody who's been on a passages trip has stood at this port and knows exactly where he's headed out to sea there. Uh, and he goes in the westerly direction, <clears throat> exactly opposite of where God is calling him to. Um, and exactly opposite of what the, the mission he's supposed to be doing. And so God sends a storm on the sea and the sailors say, like, wake up. And he's sleeping in the, in the ribs of the boat. And this is key for when you get to the Gospels. He's sleeping in the boat. And they say, wake up and, you know, cry out to your God so that we can see which God has brought this evil upon us, right? And Jonah doesn't say, you know, this isn't an evil. I mean, he eventually has to say, like, this evil is brought because of me. Like, that's I'm the reason. So throw me overboard. Um, but it's interesting there because there we might be tempted to say, oh, it's a natural disaster. But it's very clearly de uh, depicted that this is not an unnatural disaster. This is God bringing evil through a storm on this ship for the sake of this one guy. And he wants this one guy. He gets this one guy. And as soon as they get that one guy, the evil is done. And the guys worship Yahweh because they recognize that this is God who uh, – this, this is this one God, Yahweh, uh, who does it. Uh, it's also interesting because – this scene is reenacted on the Lake of Gennesaret, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, with Jesus, right? So everybody notices that um, the only other scene where you have a guy sleeping on a boat during a storm is uh, in the Gospels, and it's Jesus. So this is really weird, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, wait, Jonah was running away from God in order to not show grace to outsiders. Jesus is constantly going to non-Hebrews, trying to share the kingdom of God with them to include them into the kingdom. But he's also sleeping in this boat. Um, and God brings a storm on. And, and in this case, uh, I think you could say of Jonah as well, it's to show them. I mean, they the, when he quiets the storm, they look at each other and say, who is this that even the seas and the winds listen to him or obey him, as you could translate that. Um, so there you know, this idea that they weren't wrong when they said, which God has brought this evil upon us? And Jonah's like, oh, it's it's Yahweh because of me, right? Um, it's just that God bringing evil was for the sake, now this is key, I think, for understanding everything from Genesis forward, 
It wasn't for Jonah. It was for the sake of Ninevites, the most despised people in the ancient world at that time um, because of the atrocities they committed against other people. They, I mean, it was essentially be like saying for the sake of the Nazis um, or like a, a worse version of the Nazis if we can possibly imagine that. Um, so this is the kind of rhetoric of evil that we see um, where – you can, you can claim that Yahweh does evil, but it doesn't demean Yahweh. It doesn't make Yahweh evil. You can't say Yahweh has nothing whatsoever to do with evil. You can say, no, this is a tool in the toolbox, and it can look like a natural disaster or, or, or a natural problem, if we could say. Um, again, the only way to know is you have to be able to discern what's going on. Um, and in later episodes, we'll talk about more instances where God is doing evil, and then some of what I would say are some problematic ways of this, where I've seen people trying to discern even with natural disasters where they're trying to say, oh, this is why God did this. And you're like, okay, let's check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So are good people capable of evil and vice versa? You know, are evil people capable of good? Yeah. Have you met you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so – it's really hard because we've had these mass shootings going on for years, right? And the rhetoric just got amped up again, like this pure evil person who did this uh, did this thing. And again, these are sons, typically sons of, of somebody. Um, and it really is, I mean, I think what we're really talking about when we talk about that kind of evil, uh, we're really just saying like it, it just tips way beyond anything we can understand. Right? Like, I just can't understand why somebody, you know, would walk into an elementary school twice now. We've had this happen and just start shooting elementary. You know, it's like like adults at a bar. Okay, I might be able to, like, kind of understand why somebody might be mad at a bunch of adults at a bar, right? Um, um, so it, it tips over, and we want to say – the problem is we just want to say this person is purely evil, which look at what that does. It solves the problem. That was that one person. Oh, no problem. They're purely evil. We're not. We're, we're good to go, right? Problem solved. We're done. Um, so I think what Scripture is asking us to do is to say, like, no, perfectly good people like Peter can be Satans and commit evil. Uh, it, Jesus called to himself at least one disciple who did something that is, like, one of what we consider pure evil, right? The, um, he set Jesus up to be um, executed. Uh, so if you look at how the, the rhetoric of evil language in Jesus' mouth, I think you can actually understand what's going on here. So I give a, have a couple examples, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, so Matthew 5, this, I love this, right? He says, let, let, your, uh, let what you say simply be yes or no. Um, anything more than this comes from evil. You're like, whoa, okay, that's a steep ask, right? Yes be yes, your no be no. Uh, anything beyond this comes from evil. Well, okay, obviously he's... You, Again, you could bad preach this all day long, right? Um, but what he's saying, I think, is that your character should be such that, you know, when you say yes, you hold to your word. He's really talking about the trustworthiness of a person in the community they belong to. But why does it come from evil? Um, again, this gets back to this. A, a good person can be corrupted and it can come from other sources, right? And other sources besides God's plans are just going to be generally frowned upon. Uh, Luke 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the heavenly father, right? I mean, he just looked a bunch of guys in the eye and he's like, you guys are evil and you know how to give your kids bread and, and water and, and gifts. And, um, and again, I think these are rhetoric of like compare, you know, compared to this, this is that, right? Um, the, 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 
the man who is forgiven billions of dollars of debts and the talents that he owes the king, uh, who then goes shakes down a guy for $10,000 and throws him in prison. It's a comparison issue. Like, it's a rhetoric. I don't think it really means that we can be forgiven of our debts if we just have enough money. Uh, in the same way, I think he's using evil this way. Um, this, this generation is an evil generation. Jesus loves to say this in the Gospel of Luke, right? And, and notice he says, I'm not going to give you guys any signs except for the sign of Jonah, which is like, it's very clever how Jonah gets uh, woven into the Gospels here. Um, so Jesus has no problem throwing out the E word, right? Uh, he just doesn't think that he's therefore labeling a group of people as damnable and irredeemable. Mm. He, he actually is using the term to in, invoke them to participate in a system where they turn from their ways and they actually come in the way, as, which is what Christianity was called, the way that he's trying to lay out for mm-hmm. them. Therefore, like if they were irredeemable, he wouldn't be telling them it, what, what would be the point, right? right? Yeah. All he'd have to be saying is, you, 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 you're mm-hmm. damned. Yeah. Like, get out. So I have kind of a curveball question. <laughs> Let me know if, you want to, if you'd rather dodge it and move on. Um, you mentioned Judas Iscariot, who obviously betrayed Jesus and was this kind of, if we could have a picture of evil in the midst of Jesus and his disciples, it would be Judas. Right. And Jesus tells him or tell, I forget, he doesn't tell him. He tells, he says, um, it would be, it would have been better if Judas had never been born essentially. Right, right. So to me that, that I'm kind of like, you know, taking up a, a different viewpoint here just for the sake of the argument. But it seems to me that that would advocate a view of Judas was completely, totally given over to evil and irredeemable in a sense. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, we will talk about this in future episodes because I do think there are certain people who will prove to be like past the point of no return. Um, and it's an open question: like, would they have returned? You know, would they have? You know, would they have eventually seen the the error in their ways and return? It becomes a moot point because they've. Uh, basically committed so much atrocity. So Pharaoh uh, in Exodus is going to be a character like this where he's given lots of opportunities and just won't do it. And then at some point it flips over into, well, now you're going to be an object where people, I'm going to use you as an object to show people who I am as God, right? Um, And so it's not even that they die or get judged. It's actually they become like an object lesson uh, in the panoply of God's activities. Um, so, no, I think it would be way too strong. And this is where we'd say we can't look at one instance. We have to say, like, okay, how does God treat people who are doing really horrendous, obviously wrong things like that? Um, I mean, how many movies have tried to depict how Judas felt about all of these things? And it seems uh, virtually impossible because we can't get our mind around somebody who would follow Jesus around here and see all of those things and yet do what he did. Um, it's seemingly the disciples couldn't either. If you look at the way they talk about him in the Gospels, um, he's a perplexing character. But what they don't ever do is say, uh, even that rhetoric of Jesus, I think that's rhetoric, right? Where he's like giving a comparison for the sake of drawing out the extremity uh, of the example. Um, None of them say like, uh, none of them call for his execution or condemn. I mean, none of the Gospels condemn Judas. They basically just describe what he did, Mm -hmm. right? So... I mean, even that alone is fairly fascinating considering those people all lived together and knew they, – they knew with intimacy how bad what he did was. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, are there any other comments or observations you'd like to share as it relates to this topic of kind of good versus evil and being in battle with each other? I think we've fleshed it out to the point that people 
and myself included, probably realize at this point that there's a little bit more complicated than just two categories uh, going back and forth. But are there any other comments you'd like to make on that topic? Well, I, th- I think you, we can now hear it in full that, that to think alongside the biblical authors is to think about, uh, to, to explore, not even to think about, to explore what would it look like for someone like Judas to be to be fully complicit with the goodness of of how God created him, mm-hmm. uh, and what and therefore what has gone wrong here? Now, Judas, we don't get enough character development in him to really know that. Um, but I think it's it's begging. It's kind of like when you go to Israel and you see these ruins, right? And the and your tour guide is just talking, 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 talking. <laughs> you're just like trying to take it all in. Um, but what they're trying to do is implore you to not just look at the outline of a of a building here, but to actually imagine the entire structure there as as it would have been and as it should have been. Um, and so I think developing what we're really doing through these episodes is developing our theological imagination so that we can think more clearly about what good and evil would and can be in all kinds of situations, broken households, housing projects. Wealthy households where they're complete hypocrites all the way through and through. I mean, you can think of all kinds of situations where we need to come in and just say, I know this is how this looks, but discernment is looking beyond the superficial features to what is actually going on. And so, so for me, this is a good good way to get into that conversation as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, next episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about does evil have a mind of its own? That's our topic next time. And um, I think that's going to fall really well in this rhythm that we've been in and also kind of the topic that we're in right now, which is talking about good versus evil, evil personified. I think the evil personified topic will become even more relevant in the next episode. So make sure you don't miss that one. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to season two of Discover Your Roots, the problem of good and evil. To find more resources like this, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media and learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.